0: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today.
1: Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at WinBet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: Hello out there in fantasy football land and welcome to the Fitz on Fantasy Podcast. I'm Pat Morris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. My weekly player rankings can always be found at thefootballgirl.com. They're available for your consumption bright and early every Tuesday morning. And I also do a weekly waiver wire column for CBS Sportsline that goes up every Monday morning. You can get access to that and all sorts of other great CBS Sportsline content for a small monthly fee. Well, my friends, it's week 11. Are you bearing down on a playoff berth? Are you fighting tooth and nail for one of the last spots? We are getting down to the nitty-gritty of the fantasy season. And this coming Monday, the fantasy week will end with a phenomenal matchup between the LA Rams and Kansas City Chiefs. This could be a preview of the Super Bowl, but... I hate to think of it that way. I would rather dwell on how fortunate we are to get this intra conference matchup during the regular season with two incredible offenses exchanging haymakers. And think about the magnitude of this game from a fantasy perspective. This might be one of the most consequential fantasy matchups in recent memory. It's a make-or-break week for so many fantasy teams, and Rams-Chiefs is going to factor into countless fantasy matchups. Just think of all the fantasy firepower packed into one game. Todd Gurley, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Travis Kelsey, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes. Holy crap, is that going to be a big game. We're going to touch on that game and much, much more with this week's guest, Greg Smith of 2QBs.com. Greg and his partner, Ste- Sal Stefanile have been at the forefront of the 2QB and Superflex formats. And let me tell you, folks, if you don't play in a 2QB or Superflex league, you don't know what you're missing. I myself had never played in a 2QB or Superflex league before 2014, That was the year I finally dipped my toe in the water, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I enjoyed it so much that I am now in four two QB leagues, and that's not even counting the two dynasty leagues I'm in, which are also super flex leagues. I just think the two QB format is a better fit for today's NFL than single quarterback league. With single QB leagues, it de-emphasizes the QB position because of the law of supply and demand. There are a lot of good QBs out there, so it's easy to get your hands on one. And the trade market for QBs is always really soft. That's why in August, people in the fantasy football media, including me, are constantly telling you to wait on quarterbacks in your draft. But it really shouldn't be that way. The the NFL is a passing league now, and quarterbacks are the most important players in football. And in two QB leagues, quarterbacks become far more important simply because the demand for QBs is ratcheted up. The 900-team Scott Fishbowl League that you hear me and so many other people in the fantasy media talk about so much, that's a super flex league where you can start two quarterbacks every week. And not only that, passing touchdowns are worth six points in that league. So quarterbacks are of the utmost importance. Now, granted, you start 11 players in that league every week. So that does somewhat mitigate the importance of quarterbacks to a degree, but they're still way more important than they are in single QB leagues. And I like it that way. So, we're going to talk two QB leagues with Greg Smith, but we're also going to talk about a lot more. We'll talk about some receivers, some running backs, and we'll discuss some of the more interesting waiver wire options for week 11. So, let's get to it. I would like to welcome in this week's guest. He is Greg Smith co-founder of the 2QBs.com website. Now you might think that as co-owner of one of the best fantasy sites on the interwebs that Greg just sits back and lets the little people do all the hard work, but Greg likes to get his hands dirty. He hosts the weekly 2QB experience podcast. He writes the excellent weekly A to Z column and he curates the weekly game flow biotic sheet, which is an outstanding tool by the way. Find him on Twitter at
1: Greg Sauce. Greg. Great to he- have you here, man. I'm super excited to be here, Pat. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um yeah, I mean, but you didn't mention that I do rankings as well. Come on, man. Like uh,
0: and of course you do rankings. I'm going to we're going to talk about doing <laughs> rankings cuz uh there's some guys man like how how do you rate how do you rank the Chicago running backs every week? I've kind of given up. It's like throwing a dart blindfolded at a board I just uh I can't figure out what to do with these guys every week I was just struggling with that before I jumped on with you
1: I was I was good on that two weeks ago I definitely pegged that as a Jordan Howard game that but that was I think one of the more predictable games that they've had in week nine week 10 I thought that Howard would once again be the guy just because of how much of a mess Detroit is but of course you know Cohen was the guy who who got all the points so um like you said, very, very frustrating. That is not the only frustrating, uh, I guess, timeshare to rank. We, we, we get those all over the place, not just in Chicago, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no kidding, man. And now it looks like Seattle is going to be a new one with uh, Mike Davis and Rashad Penny. We, but we can get to that in a little bit. So, um, Greg, you live in California where the deadly wildfires have been sweeping the state. Has your area been affected at all?
1: Uh, where I live no not really um, I'm in the Monterey Bay Area which is about an hour's drive south of San Francisco and um, the worst fires are uh, in Southern California like in the Los Angeles area which is very far away from me so th- there're basically no ill effects of that where I am um, the camp fire uh, near Paradise and Chico California that is a, that is a lot closer to where I live but it's still far enough away that the worst that I get is bad air quality and it's not nearly as bad here as it is other places around uh, the San Francisco Bay area. So I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to, you know, put out some good thoughts and, and hope that everybody out there stays safe, uh, both in Southern and Northern California. This is scary stuff. And uh, yeah, my heart goes out to everybody who's, you know, lost their house or, I mean, let alone maybe someone who might know know anybody who, who died because of the fires, because this is it's, it's scary, man. Like They kind of came up out of nowhere just because we had a hot, windy weekend, and that's that's all it takes.
0: Yeah, man, really a horrible situation out there. So to any of our listeners in California, just want to wish you well. Stay safe. Hopefully these damn fires are under control soon. Um, Greg, you, the the two-quarterback format has really been increasing in popularity lately, and uh, you and your co-owner at 2QBs.com, Sal, Steph, and I will have really been at the forefront of it for a while. So tell me how you got started.
1: So I guess my origin story goes back to when I started playing fantasy football. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but it was the early 2000s. Uh, I decided I wanted to start a fantasy football league for my buddies because I had read about it in you know some books and online a little bit. And this is back when I, as the commissioner would check box scores, like compute the scoring myself and then email out the results to all the teams. But, you know, because I was new at it, because I didn't know a whole lot of people who were also interested and wanted to play, we only had eight owners in our league. And so I kind of figured, you know, with only eight teams, there's definitely a big enough quarterback supply from 32 different NFL teams to let us start two quarterbacks per, per fantasy team. So I thought, why the hell not? Let's do it. And so my home league was created with two quarterbacks, like right from the start. That's the only way I've ever played uh, in that home league. We've never deviated. Um, we eventually added more teams to get up to 10, uh, but we you know kept things to QB because you could still make the same argument, right? If you have 10 teams in a league and they each need two starters and a backup, that's 30 quarterbacks. There are 32 NFL teams. This should work. And lo and behold, it does work. And I, I honestly believe that once you start trying Two QB like once you try it, you're gonna like it because it just adds more to the game. We're using players who prominently figure into the NFL results every week, and we're using those players who score more points than any other position. So it's kind of crazy to me that this hasn't become the standard yet. Um, but I think we're probably gonna get there uh, eventually. Um, but yeah, that home league is still running today. Uh, we eventually started an auction league that goes like right alongside it. Same 10 guys uh, auction with keepers. Um, It's super flex because there was some amount of an issue with people hoarding quarterbacks in the snake draft league. But, you know, now that we've been playing so long um, with the same group, everyone kind of understands how to manage the quarterback position a little bit better. And honestly, I think if if we wanted to, we could easily switch that auction league from super flex to pure two QB. But at the same time, like, they're effectively the same anyway, so I, I'm perfectly okay with, with Superflex over 2QB in e format. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got started with the format in general. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to go into how like Sal and I and Josh Lake uh, kind of came into 2QBs.com, the website or not, though.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to hear that.
1: I mean, it, I, I guess I, I brought it up. I don't know how much I really have to say about it, but it was one of those things where as a I was writing for the fakefootball.com at the time, and... I found myself steering my analysis more towards two quarterback because that was my favorite way to play. That's where all my home leagues were. And I was like, you know, this is this is cool. Like, I should be trying to share this with other people out there in the community. And so, you know, kind of as that happens, you're on Twitter. You start to connect with these other people who are also into these same types of leagues. And I mean, you see this happen with a lot of stuff, not just two quarterback, but, you know, IDP, Dynasty, like these little niche subsets of the community are are really good about propping each other up and you know bouncing ideas off each other and so uh sal and i kind of became friends on twitter um and he kind of related also became friends with josh lake uh the same way and i I can't remember what year it was exactly i want to say it was 2015 we were you know going through the season and you know kind of eventually one of us asked the question it's like hey should we just start a site that's dedicated to two quarterback leagues and we we thought about it. We kind of mulled over what it would look like, and we we decided, yeah, let's let's give this a shot. Uh, you know, fired up a, a WordPress site, bought a domain, and and we we're off and running. It's been uh, yeah, I think that I think the first year uh, we had content on the site was 2016. So this would be year three, and I don't know. It's been going great. I love it. Um, like you said, I'm super active on the site. Uh, multiple articles, uh, podcast every week, um, editing on on the back end as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, please come check us out. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S, two QBs.com. Uh, unfortunately the, the numeral two QBs was, uh, not available and we, we even tried to get it, just couldn't get it. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here. That's, that's the story of two QBs. Well, no, I'm, I'm glad you used the word niche. Cause I was
0: going to ask you about that and whether it's, um, You know, whether that was the part of the appeal to you, that there was this uh, subsect of the fantasy community that you were appealing to, or whether uh, you ever kind of wondered, like, well, what if I'm only, you know, reaching out to 20% of people who play fantasy? So um, the great thing is, though, I mean, I don't want to use the term vindicated, but there's, you know, been this surge in popularity for two QB leagues, right? I mean, does it feel pretty good to be on the cutting edge of a format that's
1: gaining popularity every year? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I I totally appreciate the love that two quarterback formats are getting these days. I mean, mean, if anything, I could kind of spin it the other way. And it it bugs me a little bit that Superflex hasn't become the standard for 10-team and 12-team leagues, because I really do believe it's just a better way to play. It's just a more interesting game. The draft strategy goes a little bit deeper. Uh, It makes quarterbacks actually matter in the draft. I, I think that it's really just an issue of kind of tearing down the status quo, and that is hard to do because you're dealing with a lot of nostalgia. You're dealing with a lot of people who are dead set on trying to think that their fantasy league mirrors what it's like to run a real NFL team, um, which is complete nonsense. I mean, uh, but but yeah, I think above above all, I, I just have to take a lot of deep breaths and keep telling myself that it's only a matter of time before you know one of the big league hosting sites like ESPN or Yahoo. Are going to adopt Superflex as their standard roster configuration. Like, I don't know if we'll get there, but I have to hope that we will because it's a better game. It really is. It definitely is. And um, uh,
0: maybe I should stop and clarify this just for the uninitiated because I mentioned 2QB and Superflex in the intro. Superflex is where you can play 2QBs, but you don't have to. If you're uh decimated by injuries or just can't get your hands on a second quarterback or your second quarterback is nathan peterman uh you can always go the other way and play an extra wide receiver running back or tight end in that position instead of a sack so um you know two qb is letter of the law two quarterbacks super flex is the option of going with the second quarterback and whatnot so um Now, Greg, let's talk about two QB drafting strategy and your philosophy on attacking the quarterback position in these leagues. Do you tend to be aggressive in drafting quarterbacks, or are you apt to be more patient, or do you just base it primarily on how quickly quarterbacks are coming off the board?
1: Yeah, I I tend to wait. So I'm not aggressive in the beginning of the draft, but eventually a, a, a switch will flip for me. Um, I want to wait as long as possible to draft my quarterbacks, but I will pounce, uh, like kind of lay a trap sometimes and go after a QB if someone seems like a value. For example, like I drafted a lot of Drew Brees this season because I felt like he was being inappropriately dinged for uh, a down 2017. And lo and behold, here he is in 2018 putting up crazy efficient numbers yet again. So uh, when I start to see guys who are falling down ADP a little bit too far, I will... I won't reach for those guys, but I'll draft them at cost because that cost feels suppressed to me. Um, So, my strategy in a two quarterback league kind of mirrors like late round QB drafting from a one quarterback league, you know, popularized mostly by JJ Zacharyson. But it doesn't always mean waiting till later rounds for me in a two quarterback format because you don't really have that specific luxury. You can't wait till a late round. It's more like, later pick QB drafting. That's a more accurate title for my strategy. I just want to spend less on the position than the other drafters if possible. So like to kind of put it in another context or make another comparison, I don't want to mirror zero RB with a quote unquote zero QB strategy because even though the low tier quarterback scoring is decent, it's really tough to win when you only draft those types of low end quarterbacks. Plus there is more value to consistency with your quarterback in a two QB league or a super flex league, because you can't stream the position anymore. All the relevant starters are going to be drafted and owned because you need two starters and you need backups. So the low tier QBs, because they're the least consistent are not guys that I want to depend on. I'm okay with having one of those guys, maybe as my QB three. um, But Ultimately, I want to make sure that I'm getting, uh, you know, viable, usable quarterbacks. Um, Ultimately, I'm I'm kind of just becoming a bargain shopper at the position. So when a player goes on sale like Breeze did or Matt Ryan did this year, I'll pay the going rate. Um, But I am still going to be subject to that demand for consistent production from my quarterbacks. So I want to try to finish all of that quarterback shopping before you know, give or take the QB twenty-five is drafted. I found in my, you know, analytical research that after about QB 25 is when you see the, the significant drop off from, you know, the haves to the have nots at quarterback. Um, but because I don't want to draft quarterbacks ahead of my opponents, once I do take my first guy, I tend to get my second pretty quickly after. Like I tend to, after I start picking the position, I go after the position hard and I get uh, two or three guys really quick. Um, And the longer I've waited to jump in in the first place, that that means I'm probably going to be drafting my QB three more and more aggressively. So that's where I get aggressive with my quarterback drafting is not with my QB one, but with my QB two and my QB three. Does that make sense? It does. And uh, you
0: you kind of have to pounce if you do wait a little bit, if you're not taking a quarterback in the top five or top seven. You know, sometimes you you kind of have to grab that number two early, so you're not really you know bottom fishing at the position, and you're totally whistling my tune as far as the value. Um, you know, I'm in I'm in four uh, single season super flex leagues this year, and I have Breeze is the only guy I own in more than one of them. I've I've got him in the Scott Fishbowl and one other two QB league. Um, you know, I yeah, I just thought with his depressed passing volume last year which um you know at minimum he was going to get a dead cat bounce on that and uh you know possibly with the you know volume he had seen in the years before possibly much more than that i think he averaged like or um last year he had like maybe 130 fewer passing attempts than he had averaged over the seven years prior so uh yeah. And, um, that's kind of it. I'm not in in the one league this year where I went for my first quarterback early, I was sitting on the turn and, uh, was just the first round fell horribly and I didn't like any of the options. And I took Aaron Rodgers at the turn. I'd never done that before in a two QB league. And, uh, you know, then it just kind of left me playing catch up at quarterback and wide receiver. Cause this is a league with a lot of flex spots. And, um, You know, the more you have, it kind of uh, slightly mitigates the 2QB effect. If you've got, you know, 12 guys, you're starting every week. So, um, you know, I was playing catch-up, and then I I just wound up like bottom feeding with uh, the second quarterback spot. And it's been just this horrific swinging gate of, uh, geez, now I've got Nick Mullins in there. Brock Osweiler was holding it down for a while. I was actually playing Josh Allen for a while early in the season. It was
1: ugly. You know, and that's- yeah, this was a, a a relatively bad year to go early on QB. I mean, Rogers hasn't been terrible either; like he's been pretty good. Uh, Brady was definitely a miss, but um, just in general, the, the fact is the fact that so few running backs and wide receivers from the early couple rounds busted. Like those were mostly hit picks for the most part, and ta- in tandem with that. Quarterback, like the middle tier of quarterbacks, was really good this year. Like roethlisberger has been great. Breeze was pretty cheap. Mahomes came out of nowhere to be, you know, the, the god, right? And so there was so much value at QB late, and the early round running backs and wide receivers were so, you know, reliable for the most part that there was really, it really did not pay to go early at quarterback this year. With that said, it's still viable to take Aaron Rodgers at the turn in a two quarterback league. Like you said, it just means you're giving up something to do that, right? There's opportunity costs associated with that. And if you didn't like the running backs and wide receivers at that spot, that's a perfectly viable play because Aaron Rodgers is an elite producer at the quarterback position, just like David Johnson was thought to be an elite producer at the running back position, right? Both those guys have underperformed a little bit relative to those round one expectations, but they're still like very talented players and, uh, that's another thing I should talk about in terms of my draft strategy is I tend to draft for balance when I'm in a two QB superflex league. Like quarterbacks are my lowest priority of the major positions. Like I still want running backs and wide receivers more. That's a bigger deal for me, but quarterback is still very important because you do have to start two every week and the supply of them is naturally more limited than the other positions. So it's, it's a really fine line to walk. It's, it's kind of like balancing, you know, things in two hands and then something on your foot as well right like all three of these positions kind of have to be tied together uh, as you're drafting because every time you make a pick you're choosing to select one position or another and that opportunity cost is key
0: we in the fantasy football media are almost flippant about drafting quarterbacks in single quarterback leagues, and you cannot afford to be flippant in a two QB league. You can be patient, but you can't be flippant. You know, I mean, you can wait, wait in a one QB league, and you know, even if you are not happy with who you end up with, Andy Dalton is your top quarterback. Well, you can, you know, always swing a trade. There is like, uh, you know, people looking to deal off quarterbacks always find a soft trade market. So if you are trying to get one, you know, it's always a buyer's market.
1: That's another great strike in the favor of two QB leagues too. It's just that quarterback suddenly becomes a tradable value or a tradable commodity. Like, cause in a one quarterback league, you don't have to trade for a quarterback or trade your quarterback ever. Like everybody's played with that guy who's tried to draft like four quarterbacks and then trade one, but no one needs quarterbacks in a one QB league in a two QB league that totally gets flipped around. And you'll see some amazing trades where you're giving up, you know, just kind of a mid tier quarterback to get like a legit, wide receiver or running back because somebody needs a QB for their bye week or for an injury. It happens. And that's cool. I think that encouraging trading is another like nice side effect of the two quarterback format. Greg,
0: I'm curious, you recently tweeted out your support for the point per first down scoring format that's now being used in the Scott Fishball uh, and ha- has been used for two years. And it's kind of starting to show up a little bit in other leagues. So You obviously dig two QB leagues. You're on board with the point-per-first-down scoring format. If you had your druthers, what would you consider to be your perfect league setup? How many roster
1: spots? How many starting spots? What kind of scoring? So I got to give a lot of credit to Scott Fish here because he's pretty damn close this year with the Scott Fish Bowl. Um, I, I think big picture, here are some mantras that I'll throw out at you. Draft more players. Start more players. Incorporate more flex spots. And keep benches as short as you possibly can. That's not to say make them too short, but make sure that you don't make the benches too big. I think that can be a problem. Um, and when I was tweeting about that point per first down, like one of the things I really like about that setting in particular is it kind of brings the excitement of a two-point conversion to every play, right? Because you're basically rooting for you know your running back, your wide receiver, or your rushing quarterback to get to that line to basically break the plane of the first down. And it's not worth quite as much as a two-point conversion. But the fact that it's happening all the time on every play is pretty cool. Like, I think that adding that sort of excitement to fantasy is a good thing. And that's probably the main reason why I like that setting. Um, It it is cool that point per first down rewards something that NFL teams are striving to get as well. Whereas, you know, one of the big arguments against PPR is that if you throw a pass for negative yardage, like negative two yards, that's still, you know, plus 0.8 to the, to that player who caught the pass. And that doesn't jive with certain people. And I get that. Um, with that said, I still like PPR because I, I don't care necessarily about the aesthetics of that. What I like about it is that I enjoy forecasting targets and receptions. Like the passing game is such an important part of NFL offense that I, I want to have that matter. I want to have targets matter. I want to have receptions matter and receiving yards too, of course, but that's why I still like PPR. And so if, if I could put together my perfect league um, I think I might just steal the roster construction straight up from the Scott fishbowl uh, quarterback and a super flex. So essentially two quarterback, uh, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and then three regular flex spots where you can start a rusher, a wide receiver, or a tight end um, bench spots. Like I said, keep that as small as possible. I think in Scott fishbowl, we get nine for a total of 20 rounds. That feels fine. That's probably the right number. Um I think you actually it's 11 Greg. We get 22 rounds. 22 rounds. Okay. Do we not? That no, I think you're right. For I think my home league is 20 and that's why I got confused. I think that I think that that would be the right number for me is a 20 round draft with those 11 starters and then nine bench spots. Now, if you added kicker and defense, I know that some people don't like those, but I don't hate kicker. I don't hate defense. Uh, I think those are actually good simple skill testers for fantasy football. Um, And honestly, tight ends are probably just as bad, if not worse than kicker and defense, but um, I'm I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, If you add those positions, maybe you throw in one more bench spot. I don't know. I mean, it's not like you really carry kickers and defenses on your bench anyway. Um, uh, The big thing for me is that if you're doing a snake draft, that you just have an even number of rounds so that, you know, everybody gets the same number of, you know, first picks in a round versus last picks in a round. if that makes sense. But, yeah, somewhere in that 20 to 22 range, or maybe like 18 to 22 range, depending upon how many teams are in your league. I think that's the right roster or the right lineup number. Um, I would definitely use point per first down at this point. I don't know if I would do full point per first down or half point. Um, I like half point PPR more than regular PPR, but but somewhere in that range. The one I have the hardest time figuring out, actually, is, is quarterback scoring. That's the most difficult for me to peg. Um, my home leagues, I use five per touchdown and negative two per interception. That's been our standard for a long time, but I'm starting to believe that maybe we need to up the the penalty for interceptions kind of like Scott did and Scott Fishbowl, maybe negative three, negative four might make things better, but I'm not sure. That's probably the hardest thing for me to figure out. What do you do with your quarterback scoring?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, the, it's four and minus two in a lot of cases, but um, you know, I, that's the standard. Yeah. And I appreciate that one. That one's fine yeah, but i like I do like the idea of of going, you know with the six for a touchdown and a bigger penalty for an interception. So then the uh, clean games, the three hundred yard three touchdown, or even the three hundred yard two touchdown with no interceptions is valuable and it can sort of uh, offset maybe uh, one of those games where your' your quarterback, plays in a blowout and he is a very efficient game and maybe he only throws for 214 yards but he threw four touchdowns and no interceptions like you should get that's a great game you know if if he gets you out to that big lead and then just you know your team is so far out in advance that he just kind of takes the air out of the ball in the second half
1: who would you you name that type of performance after would that be like a russell wilson or It is a Russell <laughs> Wilson,
0: I think, this year. Like that's the perfect Russell Wilson stat line. Um, <laughs> it's it's the opposite of the Ryan Fitzpatrick stat line for the so. Uh, and and we'll get to him in a minute too. So yeah, Greg. I mean, I've got a two quarterback titan in the guest chair this week. So we do have to talk about some specific QBs. Um, and one I'm really one I'm anxious to talk about is. With Joe Flacco dealing with a hip injury, we could conceivably see the first start of Lamar Jackson's career this weekend when the Ravens host the Bengals. This is a dude who ran for more than 3,000 yards and 39 touchdowns in his final two college seasons, and that's with sacks, counting against a quarterback's rushing yardage in college. Uh, Not that Jackson was getting sacked a whole lot at Louisville, but What sort of rest of season
1: value do you think
0: Jackson could offer?
1: I mean, that rushing value alone makes him a potentially every week starter going forward. Like we can look at previous examples of this archetype of player. You look at Tim Tebow, you look at Terrell Pryor back when he still played quarterback. And what they do with their legs is enough to prop them up into consistent fantasy producers. So we have to be excited about the prospect of Lamar Jackson. We also have to temper that excitement against the possibility of Joe Flacco getting healthy and coming back in under center. Um, And we also have to temper that excitement against the possibility of John Harbaugh playing for his job or coaching for his job and maybe thinking that Robert Griffin III gives him a better chance to win and make the playoffs. So I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Lamar Jackson is going to take over this week and hold that job for the rest of the season. But when he plays, we have to be aware of him, not just in two quarterback leagues either, because that rushing production is so you know consistent and predictable relative to passing production that you can really count on that uh, for a floor, uh, even in a one quarterback league. The accuracy is still going to be an issue for Jackson. I, th- I don't think he's going to solve that this year. Um, so, I, I mean, there are some red flags here, but I, I kind of don't care. Like the, the rushing is good enough for me to to be on board yeah it's just a matter of whether he can do enough in the passing game pick up enough
0: third downs you know when he can't run i mean we saw a little of that in the preseason where his uh where he was just kind of hemmed into the pocket and you know they weren't letting him get out and you know forced to forced to throw purely throw like that's not his thing that's gonna be a problem for him. So I'm I'm really interested to see how they handle that and whether either you know, possibly is Robert Griffin the god I hope not. I really want to see Lamar.
1: I got a I got a question for you actually. Do you think that this Ty Montgomery signing or trade by the Beng- or by the Ravens tells us anything about their potential plans for Lamar Jackson? Cuz I, I could construct a narrative that what they really would want to do with Jackson is more of that kind of run pass option stuff uh you know shorter passes pitches things like that and that maybe Ty Montgomery is well suited to that maybe more so than someone like Alex Collins I I don't know I'm just kind of spitballing here but do you think that that could give us any indication of what the Ravens are planning
0: now that's interesting that if, if he sort of fits that, um, you know, option style halfback archetype a little better than Collins does. And I, I think he certainly does. And, and maybe they just don't think, uh, you know, Buck Allen was that kind of guy either. So, um, you know, maybe that did kind of herald their, you know, the, the pending QB change and, uh, you know, it's it's possible, I think, even if Flacco had not gotten hurt, that they might have considered a, a shift on the merits anyway. Flacco really hadn't got much done since September. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Or, or maybe it just sort of occurred to them when, you know, the the price was right. Basically, Green Bay giving him away after his, uh, you know, fumble and something that was seen as kind of a betrayal there. So, no, that's an interesting way to look at it, and it's possible that, you uh, Ty could get some run here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Greg Dak Prescott was putting up some pretty anemic numbers at the start of the year, but since week six, he has been uh, QB 10 in fantasy points per game, just one tenth of a point per game behind Carson Wentz, two tenths of a point behind Cam Newton. So Are you buying this sort of evolution of Dak's
1: 2018 fantasy value? Yeah, I mean, speaking of rushing production, that's a big factor with Dak as well. He has 28.4 rushing yards per game, which is fifth best among quarterbacks. And he's tied for the QB lead in rushing TDs with three scores. Uh, So that definitely helps him make up for a lack of passing yardage. And I I think this Amari Cooper arrival has really helped out. I, I was skeptical that it would be a quick transition, but... It turns out that just getting anyone viable, you know, in that receiving game, you know, was just a big boost, not only only to Dak, but I think just to the offense in general, opening things up for the other receivers, opening things up for Ezekiel Elliott. I think that that was, I mean, a steep price to pay a first round pick for Amari, but for this season and this season alone, I think that, you know, maybe that was something they had to do to kind of turn this offense around. I'm... Not super optimistic about Dak because I still think that what that team wants to do is, you know, slow the game down, win with defense and running the ball. And while that could lead to some of those, you know, Russell Wilson type stat lines from Dak when he happens to throw for, you know, multiple touchdowns in a game, uh, I am skeptical that the volume will be there for him on a consistent basis. And so I I think he's a fine, you know, middle of the road, you know, QB2 type um, with, with some upside for some QB1 weeks. But Prescott is not a guy I'm super excited about, but he's fine. He's very much uh, a usable uh, commodity going forward.
0: Yeah, the rushing is nice, and I agree Amari helps, but the offensive MO is definitely a limiting factor there. Um, Let's talk about another guy whose fantasy value seems to be shape-shifting as the season goes on, Marcus Mariota. So this is a dude who threw for 129 or fewer yards in four of his first five starts. He would not have been startable in a 1973 fantasy league with those numbers. But now, (laughs) (laughs) well, between 228 and 240 yards in each of his last three starts, not exactly setting the world on fire, but five TD passes over that span and he runs a little bit. So where are you on Mariota right now?
1: Yeah, we're just hitting all the Russian QBs. I love this. Uh, it, It does seem like he's turning the corner. And I think it's kind of hard to tell when we look back at his early season struggles, how much of that was due to injury, how much of that was due to the tough schedule that he was facing. How much is that a, how much of that was due to him losing so many weapons? And, I mean, to be honest, the lack of weapons is still an issue for him. No Delaney Walker, uh, no Taewon Taylor now. Um, the scheduler, the schedule is easier down the stretch, but it's still not necessarily a cakewalk. He still has games at Houston, against Jacksonville, at the Giants, and against Washington. All of those defenses have been pretty good against the pass. And I guess my my main concern with Mariota is what happens if a team can take Corey Davis away? And I think Deion Lewis does something to help mitigate that for the offense and for the Titans as a whole. But it doesn't necessarily mitigate the risk to Mariota's fantasy value, if that makes sense. Because if you can take away Corey Davis, then who's he throwing to? Tajay Sharp? Janu Smith? Deion Lewis out of the backfield like it's it's kind of ugly and that's my biggest concern with him is just just that the weapons aren't that good like I I still have no idea what the hell was going on there with him and Rashard Matthews or with that team and Rashard Matthews but um, that's I mean I can't even speculate about it it's just so weird but I'm not I'm not convinced that this is a, a full you know resurrection of Mariota's fantasy value but we have to be more optimistic going forward if only just because we know that he's healthier now.
0: Yeah, you wonder why this uh, that that should have been a team that you know might have taken an earlier look at Des Bryant's before before that uh, ill fated turn of his season with the Saints. Um, all right, so we kind of alluded to these guys before. Uh, let's talk about two guys who fall into the good but volume challenged basket: Russell Wilson and Philip Rivers. So we've got two excellent quarterbacks playing in two of the league's most conservative offenses. I don't know about you, Greg, but I'm having a hell of a time trying to figure out how to rank these guys every week.
1: Oh yeah, me too. Uh, Especially because Russell Wilson also throws in that rushing volume uh, on occasion. He's been using it more sporadically this season, which has made it even more infuriating. I mean, this last week against the Rams was one of his better rushing days and it kind of just came out of nowhere. It seemed like he wasn't going to do that much anymore, but uh, anyway, I'm okay with these efficiency over volume guys at quarterback, but more so than other positions. Like I wouldn't be, you know, chasing efficiency over volume at running back or wide receiver. I think you can get away with it at quarterback just because when a guy is efficient, like Wilson, like Rivers, they, they touch the ball so much anyway, like the volume is already built in. And so if you're getting a a quarterback, who's going to throw for three touchdown scores, but only, like you said, 215 yards, that's still usable for fantasy. And I think actually, if you look at the week 10 uh, quarterback standings uh, in terms of scoring, most of the guys at the top of the rankings were those efficiency over volume guys. I think most of the dudes in the top 10 or top eight threw under 30 pass attempts. Whereas a lot of the guys in week 10 who threw a lot of attempts ended up further down the rankings and maybe defenses are wising up a little bit. Maybe this is just an anomaly. I'm not totally sure. Um, but I'm okay with with Wilson and Rivers in terms of ranking them. Though, yeah, good luck. I, you kind of just have to piece everything together. It's kind of like trying to figure out, you know, a Shane Vereen game versus a Lagarrett Le- Blunt game back in the day with the Patriots. It's it's kind of like that with some of these offenses. I'd even throw uh, Jared Goff in there too as a guy who, you know, in any given week could just get Todd Gurleyed, you know, out of his out of his points um, if they if the Rams can run the ball super well. So. I don't know. Wilson does seem to throw a lot when he's around the red zone and he's a rushing threat there, too. So I think you still have to rank him relatively high, even you know despite his volume concerns. And with Rivers, he has the benefit of two running backs who are both really good receivers. And I think that props up his volume a little bit more um, than, you know, say, like Blake Bortles, who probably isn't going to throw that many passes to uh, Leonard Fournette. Uh, I don't know if that's a great comparison, but, or if you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I feel like I'm rambling, but I guess I'm not too worried about either of these guys. And I think that they're both, they have to be mainstays in that top 12 of your quarterback rankings for the most part, just because they are so efficient. I think that matters.
0: No, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's uh you wish they threw more and it's, it's kind of frustrating that you know, Wilson could be a top three quarterback. We've seen him do it before, but, you know, it's just this offense is not allowing him to uh, completely take flight. All right, one more guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Greg. Unlike Wilson and Rivers, he is the uh, – he's sort of the anti-Russell Wilson this year, playing in a very pass-heavy offense, terrific group of pass catchers, but uh, – an interception waiting to happen and it seems like he's just one more bad interception away from maybe getting yanked so what do we make of this guy uh where do you slot a guy like this in your quarterback rankings week to week
1: yeah i mean i think he's he's fine uh, is he better than Jameis winston i don't know uh but the bucks both you know their coaches and the players seem to pre- prefer M- Fitz Magic. um and the team does have some incentive to keep Winston healthy, uh, and that is to say on the bench uh, for contract leverage. Um, they can't get away from his contract next season if he's hurt, and that might be something they want to do based upon the way that he's played. Um, I, I think regardless of which quarterback we're talking about in this Tampa Bay offense, they're both high-variance players, right? Like you said, they make big plays. They also make big mistakes, and that makes them like even more susceptible to game flow than other quarterbacks, which I kind of hate on one hand, but I like on the other hand cuz sometimes if you can predict that right, you can really smash with these guys because because they are so volatile, they're going to fall behind players like Wilson and like Rivers in rankings and in salary and DFS. So if you can properly identify those games where, you know, either the matchup or the the game script is going to go in Tampa's favor, Uh, you can get just a general discount on these guys because they're so risky in the first place, if that makes sense. So, um, I mean, garbage time is a good time is garbage time is a good thing sometimes, but other times it is a trap and and that's just going to lead to more turnovers for those guys. If we can parse out what type of game we're going to get from Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, and it probably just depends on who the opponent is for the most part. I, I think that he's, He's sneaky, valuable in fantasy. It's just hard to know exactly when to use him. And I, I don't know. Where, where do you end up ranking him? Like, where did you have him for week 10?
0: Oh, God. I uh, I had a last-minute change of heart on him. I, I had him down at number 12, I think, like right below Russell Wilson. And at the last second, I decided to move him up to, like, number 8 or 9 or something. And, uh, you know, just not a good move. Like, I just... Figured the passing volume was going to be such that, uh, you know, unless he, I don't know, I, I didn't see the zero touchdown game coming, I guess. You know, the interceptions are always such a scary thing, though. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a bad move. I think the initial instinct to rank him, you know, the very back end of the QB1 range was, was the right one. Sometimes uh, going against my better instinct with those last-minute last changes like that, uh, I'm being joined once again this week by Mr. Greg Smith of 2QBs.com. Find him on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Okay, Greg, uh, you're a 2QB guy, but I know you also pay attention to positions other than quarterback. Uh, has been skimming over so far, but let's dig into um, some of the other positions. And let's talk about the first samples we have with the guys who were traded the deadline the receivers we we touched on Amari Cooper earlier and it appears that the change of scenery could end up being pretty good for him two games with Dallas 18 targets 11 catches 133 yards and a touchdown do you think he has a chance to be a wide receiver too for his fantasy owners the rest of the
1: way his schedule looks pretty good yeah the schedule looks great actually and I think based upon the volume that they've already shown him in the first couple weeks he's been with Dallas i think it's pretty safe to say that we can expect more targets uh, or similar target share going forward. And if he's seeing eight to 10 targets per game, he's going to have a hard time not being a wide receiver too. I'm I'm in on Amari. I, I actually picked him up when he got dropped in one of my home leagues earlier this year. That's, that looks like it's going to turn out pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about him. I, I think that we have to be a little careful because again, two weeks is only, uh, you know, two weeks. It's a small sample size, but like, like you said, that's that schedule is just really really appealing. Atlanta, Washington, New Orleans, Philly, uh, Indianapolis, and Tampa Bay. Like New Orleans can put Marshawn Lattimore on him, which is a little concerning. Uh, but you know most of those other matchups are are pretty pretty good. I, I'm I'm excited about Amari. I want to see you know how this goes for him, and and maybe who knows, maybe this will translate to you know uh, top ten or top twelve production for Dak Prescott too.
0: He's been a pretty polarizing guy, Amari. So it sounds like you're you've been generally in the pro Amari camp, like I have. Like you've drafted him repeatedly, expecting more.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I'm I'm a bit of an Amari truther. I, yeah, and I, I don't think what we saw in Oakland was his fault. I think that just that Derek Carr is bad, I, I and that John Gruden and that you know organization had did not want to win this year. And uh, that has trickled, that trickled into poor performances for Amari Cooper. I don't think that, I mean, you have to put some of it on the player for sure, but I think that that was just a really bad situation for him. And now that he's in a place where we we can see that they want to use him, uh, I think that's pretty appealing. So I'm, I'm pretty resolute in my truther status on Amari Cooper.
0: Good. Amari truthers
1: unite, Greg. Let's
0: do it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Now, uh, as for the other... Guy traded before the deadline, Golden Tate's Only one game with the Eagles so far, while Amari's had two with the Cowboys. But uh, Tate owners can't be real happy with what they saw in his Eagles debut. Just 29% of Philly's offensive snaps, four targets, two catches, 19 yards. And this is a guy who makes his bones over the middle of the field. And unfortunately, that's also where Zach Ertz does a lot of his business. And Ertz is on pace for something like 132 catches which would pretty much shatter the single season receptions record for a tight end uh, too early to draw any conclusions on Tate, or is this just looking like a disaster for Tate owners?
1: I mean, it's, it is too early, but at the same time, we have enough of a track record with this type of move to know that it might not work out. Um, generally, we, we know that wide receivers struggle to get acclimated when they change teams as free agents in the off season and Tate just changed teams mid season. So uh, it's it's going to be challenging for him to get up to speed with the Eagles and start to produce. Now, with that said, the Eagles are a very good organization. That's a well-run team, um, despite you know what we saw them do against the Cowboys on Sunday night. Uh, I, I still believe that they are a, a good organization, and they're going to try to put him in a you know a place to succeed. The problem is is that, like you said, they still have so many other important playmakers on that offense. Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, uh, the running backs are going to be involved. I mean, Nelson Aguilar had not been playing well, but he's not necessarily going away either. Uh, Jordan Matthews was still catching passes. So I don't know. Like I think that there are definitely some volume concerns for Tate, and that was really how he made his bones in Detroit was just with a plethora of targets week in and week out. I don't think we can count on that, and I think that's probably the biggest reason to – expect a bit of disaster here for him and his fantasy value.
0: Yeah, I agree, unfortunately. Um, Greg, among the many notable performances we saw from running backs in Week 10, there are two I want to ask you about. One is Nick Chubb, who went berserk against the Falcons Sunday with 176 rushing yards, more than 200 yards from scrimmage, two TDs. The other is Leonard Fournette, And now if any of his fantasy owners have managed to overcome his absence for the vast majority of the season and are still in the playoff haunt. Well, bully for you, my friends. Uh, if you stuck it out through this guy's hamstring injury for so long, you certainly deserve the 109 yards from scrimmage and two TDs you got from him Sunday. Uh, how would you assess the chances of Chubb
1: and Fournette delivering RB1 value the rest of the week? I mean, Chubb already seems to be there. Uh I mean you, you mentioned the crazy stat line he put up in week ten, but over his last five games played, he has four hundred thirty-one rushing yards, which is, I think, fourth most, only behind Gurley, James Conner, and Melvin Gordon. Um and and again, that's very much propped up by this huge game he just had, but he did he was performing well before that. And so I think that I mean you have to consider Chubb, if not, you know, a top ten or top twelve option, at least top fifteen. Like he's gonna be Probably an every week starter for anybody who owns him. I think Fournette's more of a question mark. Like you mentioned owners potentially reaping the reward of their patience with him, but I, I don't even know how they would have started him in week 10. Like I wouldn't have had the guts to do it. Him coming off that hamstring injury. Uh, I mean they still have Carlos Hyde and TJ Yeldon there. I, I just I don't have a ton of confidence in the Jags coaching and management when it comes to Game plans or predictable usage with these guys. Uh, I think that they want to use Fournette, but is that the right way to run an NFL offense in 2018? I, I have my doubts. Um, and, and Jacksonville just lost their starting center, Brandon Linder, Brandon Linder, for the season. They were already missing their left tackle, Cam Robinson. So uh, there are a lot more red flags with Fournette for me. I, I just, and it has a lot to do with the team, but also those injuries up front. Um, I'm in on Chubb, Fournette. I'm a little more wishy-washy on. I'm with you on that. That makes sense. The the Linder argument or the
0: Linder injury was a kind of a big thing and, you know, as it was even with the nice overall stat line, I think Fournette averaged under 3 yards a carry. Uh Greg, one more thing I want to ask you about real quick. The Chiefs and Rams play on Monday night. That game opened with an over under total of 63.5 on Bavada. Would you be inclined to take the over or the under on that?
1: Yeah, so a word of warning, I've been pretty bad at over-unders this season, so uh, take the, take my advice with that in mind. Um, I, don't, I don't know, have you been doing the Fantasy Pros uh, Picks Against the Spread contest I, that they're doing? Yes, yes. and uh, Yeah, so I've been doing that as well. I've been okay against the spread. I, I think I was top 20 entering Week 10. Um, I did not have a good Week 10, unfortunately, um, but my over-under picks have been basically 50-50. I'm, I'm just walking the line there. I, I, I don't really know uh, what I'm doing with those for the most part. All caveats aside, I think I want the under in this game. I just think it makes sense for both teams to play as much ball control offense as possible to keep the opposing offense off the field, right? Like the Chiefs are going to try to control the clock to some extent, um, maybe use a little bit more Kareem Hunt so that the Rams offense can't play and vice versa, right? The Rams are going to use Todd Gurley, uh, try to keep the ball in the middle of the field, keep the clock running so that Patrick Mahomes has fewer opportunities, And 64 points is just a ton in the abstract, right? Like, you have to start thinking about what the final score would look like to hit that over, Um, and we're talking about, what, like 40 to 24, 30 to 35, or 30 to 37, uh, 42 to 24, 33 to 31. Like, that's just a lot of scoring, even for two very prolific offenses like this. I'm not sure we'll get there. Now, with that said, uh, Mahomes can be a little risky with the ball, and perhaps if the Rams – get a defensive touchdown that I mean, defensive points count towards those over unders too. And so maybe I'm not accounting for that possibility quite enough, but I I think I want the under it's, it's boring to say that like I I'm rooting for, you know, a lot of scoring for fantasy purposes, but if I have to be like cool and collected about my answer, I just, I I would bet on the under.
0: Now, Greg, you're talking to a guy who just hit an 80 point over in college on Saturday with Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes these congratulations thank you thank you but uh yeah sometimes but that just occurred to me when you you know talked about picturing scores or whatever and i was thinking like how that oklahoma oklahoma state game could stay under i'm like well you know i could maybe see a low scoring 42 to 35 game for those two teams and i missed by three points but uh, you know that was about as low as i could see for those two um all right, Greg, we're about to hit our second 16-bye week of the year, so people have holes that need to be filled. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to throw out some of the more interesting names among the widely available players, and you can just give me a very quick take, just uh, you know, kind of a, a psych- psychologist couch, You know, first thing that pops in your head, take on what you perceive the value of these guys to be.
1: Sound good? Let's do it. All right. Uh, Rashad Penny. So – it seems like Seattle wants to change their approach to running back every week. Uh, Chris Carson is supposed to return this week and mess up, you know, any clarity we might have thought we had with Penny and Mike Davis. Uh, I think the biggest argument in Penny's favor is the draft capital that the Seahawks invested in him, but with with the three-headed monster looming here, I'm not super interested in Penny. I think that it could easily be Carson or Davis that ends up winning this backfield in the long term and what's more likely is you're going to end up, you know, week to week seeing a bunch of different guys, you know, kind of take the reins and, and and rule the day. So uh yeah, I'm not super excited about Penny, but just because running back is such a dumpster fire for the most part, you kind of have to speculate on players like this. And so yeah, go ahead and get your claims in. I think he's he's worth a pickup.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I mean Davis and Carson have both looked good too, you know, and uh I, I know Pete Carroll runs a meritocracy here. And, you know, it's great that Penny showed out well on Sunday, but Davis and Carson have showed well too. So he's not just going to kick those guys to the curb. Um, So, you know, maybe Penny can stake a a claim in this three-way backfield, but, you know, as far as him just taking over and being the guy, I think that might be a little far-fetched. Josh Adams.
1: Yeah, he's looked good in the limited bits that I've seen him, but this is still kind of a crowded committee with Philadelphia. Uh, especially with the aforementioned Golden Tate coming in to take more of those running back type targets uh, going forward. So, and and on top of that, like I don't really want to use Josh Adams this week against the Saints because New Orleans has been really good against the run. And uh, on the other side of the ball, if New Orleans gets out to a big lead, uh, game script could really push the Eagles' RB usage more toward Wendell Smallwood and Corey Clement, the pass catchers. So, um, not super interested in Josh Adams, although. Kind of like what you said about Mike Davis and um, Chris Carson. Like w- watching Josh Adams run, he looks like an NFL player. I- I'm just worried about the usage. Uh, how about
0: we mentioned him before, Ty Montgomery? Like, what would you if you needed something at running back and uh, let's say you were kind of down to the felt on Fab money and you knew you weren't gonna have enough for Rashad Penny, and uh, you were gonna make a speculative speculative play on Montgomery? What do you think he would be? Worth if you were, you know, nursing maybe 20 dollars $20 in your fab budget.
1: I, I mean, I would only throw a dollar or two at Ty Montgomery. I mean, we we kind of try. I tried to make the case earlier about him maybe being more valuable if Lamar Jackson takes over, but I don't think there's any way we can count on that. Uh, I think that Collins and Buck Allen are still the entrenched guys in that backfield. They're the running backs. Who I'd rather have. I am. I'm, I'm. Despite the case I tried to make for Montgomery earlier, I am pretty i'm gonna give a hard pass on him for uh actual waiver claims i don't really want him on my team i think you can do better anthony miller yeah um six to eight opportunities you know targets plus carries in each of the past four games for anthony miller uh two touchdowns in that span i think that he's a fine flex play this week against the vikings uh i might like him more uh, especially if you're in ppr formats than any of the running backs we've talked about to this point
0: yeah he's pretty exciting and i think you know the the Taylor Gabriel thing earlier in the season was kind of a smokescreen. Like Miller is actually really good, can play inside or out. And, uh, I, you know, I actually think having Alan Robinson back does not hurt his value at all because it, uh, you know, gives Trubisky a couple of, helps. Yeah. That's kind of what I think it's, it's, you know, a Rob's going to be getting the alpha cornerbacks most weeks. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's wheels off for Anthony Miller too. I'm, I'm really high on him. How about Josh Reynolds with Cooper Cup tearing his ACL?
1: Yeah, I think I'm more interested in Josh Reynolds for daily fantasy. I think it's going to be tough to forecast week to week for him as he's competing for targets with Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. And apparently the Rams tight ends are now a thing. Uh, I might be off base here, though, because Cup being out does open up a lot of opportunity Um, over his last five games cups 63.2 fantasy points ranks ninth amongst wide receivers uh just behind julio jones for some context uh and we know that the volume is probably going to be there uh this week against kansas city so i think reynolds is a, an interesting option um i'd probably still i may, i don't know i mean him versus miller is a tough call i i like miller the player more just because i think he has a clearer path to opportunity um i don't know what would you do between those two would you prefer reynolds or miller I think uh, in doing a waiver
0: wire column for CBS Sports on this week, I believe I had Miller either a dollar or two more. It was something like ten and eight, or that makes yeah. sense to me. I like that. Yeah.
1: Um, last one. How about John Ross? I mean, Ross definitely gets a personal bump in value while AJ Green is out, but I'm just not sure it's worth the overall downgrade uh, that Green's absence is going to apply to the Bengals' offense as a whole. I, I think this is just one of those weeks where you're going to fade everyone on the Cincinnati offense uh, going on the road at Baltimore. And, you know, we, we saw Ross get that touchdown in week 10. I think that there's going to be that sort of opportunity, but I'm, I don't know. I just, I think you can probably find better plays in more interesting offenses than what the Bengals are trotting out there at this point without AJ green.
0: Yeah. The, the floor is pretty scary low on a weekly basis for Ross. It's uh you know, one yeah. catch for six yards or some sort of injury and a, a complete donut. So yeah, I would probably pass on him too. Greg, uh, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. I know you also recorded your own podcast earlier and you still have to edit it before you call it a day. So I very much appreciate your time and I very much appreciate your advocacy of the two QB and Superflex formats. You and, Sal Stefanile are two of the nicest guys in the fantasy football media. You both do fantastic work and it's always a pleasure to interact with you.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Right back at you, Pat. Uh, I really pray, appreciate your advocacy for two QB. I, I, I'm excited to hear that you play in multiple, uh, redraft leagues. That's pretty exciting. I, I think the more that we can spread the word on this, the, the more fun we're all going to have playing fantasy football. That's as, as simple as it gets, but, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, if your listeners want to check out my work, come over to 2QBs.com, and you can find it all there.
0: Yes, and again, that is 2QBs uh, with 2 TWO rather than the numeral 2. So, uh, And be sure to find Greg on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. Thanks again, Greg. Cheers. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to Greg Smith of 2QBs.com. And thank you to my producer, Mr. Colin Kelly. Fantasy football podcast producer extraordinaire. Calm is also the co-host of the excellent RotoViz Overtime podcast, along with Sean Siegel. I urge you to check it out on RotoViz Radio. I don't know how he does it all, quite honestly. Calm is also new dad and has a full-time job. I don't think Calm is spending too many nights out at the pub in his little Irish town these days, throwing back pints of Guinness. But Lord knows, I'm grateful to have him helping me get my psoriac act together. And speaking of people help me keep my psoriac together i want to thank my colleague melissa jacobs of thefootballgirl.com find her on twitter at thefootballgirl melissa hosts not one but two great podcasts every week there is the football girl podcast where she gets some excellent guests often women from the football media but not always last week she had former new orleans saints wide receiver joe horn on And Melissa's other podcast is the excellent Date Night podcast that she co-hosts with her husband, Dave. They put their two boys to bed on Sunday night, turn on the microphones, and discuss that day's games. There may or may not be a bottle of wine involved. Come to think of it, I really need to get together and drink wine with Melissa and Dave. Maybe we could make it a double date, except my wife doesn't really care that much about football. For that matter she doesn't drink wine she's strictly a beer gal but that's neither here nor there last but not least i want to thank you for tuning in my friends i appreciate each and every one of you hitch up your britches get out there finish the regular season on a high note secure those playoff spots and get ready for your championship run. i'll be back again next week with another great guest it'll be thanksgiving week so we will talk turkey both figuratively and literally until then
1: Shohei Otani hits, pitches and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all, FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs and more in minutes. FTX, ShoHazen, are you?